Good morning, I'm Jared Kirk. I'm the pastor of Renewal Church, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're starting a brand new series called Work Matters Today. You've got the worship guide that was handed to you when you came in. It says Work Matters right on the front. And I think this might be one of the most important series that we do today, uh, this whole year actually. And it's because, you know, it's, we're not diving into the depths of the mysteries of the Trinity, but, You know, we spend more time at work than we do with almost anything else. The average American spends 8.65 hours per day working. The only thing we spend more time doing is sleeping and personal care. And most of the time, sleep and take care of our hygiene so that we can go to work and not get fired, right? So work takes up this huge chunk of your life. And if you don't know why you work, if you don't have a vision for why you work, you will be dragging yourself through what takes up more of your time than anything else. But God has a reason for your work. God has a vision and a purpose for your work. It's so important that we get this right. If you don't get this right, you'll end up, uh, some people just work for a paycheck and you drag yourself into work every day just to make money so that you can do other things that you love. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you don't get this right, some people, they uh, end up judging your whole worth and significance on how you perform at work. And you think, I don't amount to anything unless I have a good job. My, my family won't respect me unless I have a prestigious job. And so your job and your performance at work actually begins to judge you. So if you don't get work sorted out in your life, work will either be a drag or a judge. But either way, it won't be in its proper place in your life. You know, work, some people run from work and some people let work run their life. It's so important for you to get this settled in your life. Now, I'll admit, as we start, some of you know me, some of you don't, that I'm a pastor, which means that my work has some inherent meaning in it, right? Like, you know, on some hard days, to get myself out of bed and say, I know, you know, I've got a reason to get in there and work. But I haven't always been a minister. Um, in the past, I've been a nighttime security guard. I have been a lifeguard. Hold on, I wrote them all down. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, Uber driver. Yeah. Um, Medical equipment technician. I once worked for a vet's office uh, as a a professional scooper. You know what I'm saying? And at one point in my life, I was a door-to-door watermelon salesman. (laughs) That's a whole different story for a whole different sermon. (laughs) Don't ask about that one. It's true. Those were not exactly my dream jobs. And here's what I've learned along the way, because I've done things that I I find very inherently meaningful, and then, you know, the other things. And and here's what I've found, is all jobs have some importance to them, and all jobs have some frustration to them. You cannot escape from those two realities. It doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of a nonprofit company, or you are pouring coffee to make your way through school. All jobs have some importance and some frustration. And we are exploring what God says about work and these ideas of importance and frustration in our series, Work Matters. Now, over the next uh, five or six weeks here, we're going to be looking at, today we're talking about God's idea and God's dream for work. And we'll talk about five godly decisions you can make about your work. But in the series, in the weeks to come, we'll be talking about dealing with difficult people. You don't have any difficult people at your job, do you? Is anyone married to a difficult person? Don't look at them. 
dealing with difficult people. We'll talk about managing stress. No, none of you have to manage stress from your job, do you? Well, of course you do, because there's difficult people there, right? So you managing stress, we'll talk about defining success. Some of you are such driven people. You are achievers. You have never met a hoop that you didn't jump through. But man, you gotta make sure your life is pointed in the right direction so that when you end up there, you're happy with where you have arrived. Amen? Okay, so we'll be talking all about that in the weeks to come in the series Work Matters. But today, God's dream and idea for work and then five godly decisions I can make about my work. So hold out, take out your notes because we're gonna be looking at those today. And on the front page, you're gonna see the first couple verses that we're looking at as we think about God's ideas for work. Here's the first thing I wanna, I wanna, I wanna share with you. Work is God's idea. Look at Genesis Chapter 2, verses 7 and 15. Now, this is the very first book of the Bible. It's the second chapter in there. When God is making the world and he's making people, here's what he said. And the Lord God formed a man's body from the dust of the ground and breathed into it the breath of life, and the man became a living person. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and care for it. So he didn't place the man in there to... uh, you know, string up his Eno hammock and just chill all day like, you know, like Adam was the first hippie. No, he placed him in there with some work to do. Work is not the result of sin. Work is not the result of the fall. Work is something God has given every man and woman to do. So you should expect some joy from your work. You should expect to accomplish some good things with your work. You should expect a, a feeling of achievement and accomplishment from your work. Every person is supposed to cultivate, contribute, or create in some way. This is what God made you to do. Work is God's good idea. In fact, the Bible is so overwhelmingly positive about work. Now, and I should also just mention, paid or unpaid, it doesn't matter, right? God has work for every person to do, whether you're paid or unpaid. But the, work, the Bible is so big on work that I looked up everything it had to say about work, and I put together a list of 10 positive things about work according to the Bible, right? So I'm just gonna run through these really quick. Number 10, when you work, you can meet your own daily needs. You need food, you need a roof over your head, you need to get where you're going, you can do that if you work. Number nine, you can build wealth. This is Dave Ramsey's favorite point. You know, it's possible to inherit wealth without working. It's possible to squander wealth without working, but it's very difficult to build wealth unless you work. Working helps you build wealth. Number eight, you can help those who are weak. This comes from a quote in Acts. Have you ever had somebody come into your life, maybe it was a member, maybe it was a friend, and they said, and you said to yourself, man, I wish I could help them. I wish that I was in a better position. I wish that I was in a better place so I could help them more. Well, when you work, then you have the ability to help those who need help. Number seven, you can build your skills. Number six, I like this one. You sleep better. Now, I'm not going to name any names here, and I know no one's done this, but have you ever watched Netflix all day long, and at the end of it, you're like, I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep. But when you work, it helps you sleep. Actually, the Bible says that God gives sleep to people he loves. (laughs) Number five. It teaches you perseverance. Number four, 
You can complete the plans you have made. Everybody has dreams, but you cannot complete those dreams. You cannot achieve those dreams without work. Number three, you can develop a reputation for excellence. Number two, this is one of my favorites, you won't be a burden to the people who do work. And as the parent of future teenagers, this already resonates in my soul. And some of you, your parents are still saying like, hey, so when are you going to get that job? How long are you going to be on my health insurance? How long are you going to be on my phone plan? No, you cannot have my ESPN.com password, right? Like, when you work, you're not a burden to the people who do work. And number one, my favorite positive thing about work, according to the Bible, it keeps you from resorting to crime. I, I should have worked probably a little bit more in high school. Would have kept me out of some crime. Now, I put the Bible verses down for these in the Renewal Church Boston app. So if later today or this week you want to look up, go to the app, click on the blog um, button at the bottom, and you'll see the Bible verses so you can see these for yourself. Work is a good thing according to the Bible. It is a good idea. It is a God idea. However, and here's the turn in the story, work is also a frustrating thing according to the Bible. After Adam and Eve sinned, in the Garden of Eden, we call it the fall in Christianity, and they, they eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the character of work changed. Listen to Genesis chapter 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So this was humanity's choice. God's original design was that human beings would work, but that it would be enjoyable. But through... Uh, when our work is not centered on God and when people forget about God, work becomes frustrating and broken. And when people don't center their life around work and they're either running from work or letting work run their life because God is not at the center of their work, still to this day, work is frustrating and broken. This idea of work being frustrating um, the perfect illustration. Have you ever worked on a paper or a project and then suddenly you realize the entire thing is deleted? Do you know that feeling? Everybody knows that feeling. That is what the fall did. And so if you didn't hate sin before, I hope you do now. Work should be frustrating. So here's the big picture. Work should be Good. It should be engaging. There should be a part of your heart that loves working and contributing and cultivating and creating and achieving. That's part of how you were designed. But work is also going to be frustrating. Work is going to be work. That's why we call it work. That's what you tell your children when they're little. That's what your parents told you. It's work. It's called work because it's under a curse. But here's the deal. You cannot be so frustrated that you run from it. And you cannot be so insecure that you let it run your life. You can't run from it, and you can't let it run your life. But you have to do it, which means there must be a right way to work. Look at this verse. This is from the New Testament, the stories about Jesus' life from John 5, 17. But Jesus replied, my father never stops working, so why should I? According to this verse, worked, and God is working. And according to this verse, Jesus works like his father works. So there must be a godly way to work. We can, our work can be more like the way Jesus works, and that's why our message today, five godly decisions to make about my work. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take out your notes and open to the inside cover, because we got some blanks to fill in today. Looks like this. 
Five godly decisions to make about my work. Number one, separate who I am from what I do. Write it down. Separate who I am from what I do. When you meet people at a party, what is one of the first things they ask you? What do you do? What do you do? Because we so often define ourselves by our work. And we define other people by their work. And the more your work lines up with your passions or the more prestigious your job is, the more tempted you are to um, connect your identity with your occupation. You're, you're, You're tempted to confuse who you are with what you do. You see, when your work is your worth, then when you have a good day at the office, you feel good. When you have a bad day at the office, you feel crushed. When you, you miss out on a promotion, you feel like a failure of a human being. When, you, when a project comes through, you feel like the man. When you don't get a promotion at work um, and your work is your worth, it's just the worst day you could possibly have. But your work is not your worth, and your work is not who you are. Ephesians 2.10 is a really cool verse that gets at these two ideas side by side right next to each other. Look at what it says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see how it separates who we are and what we do? Who are we according to this verse? God's masterpiece. And what do we do? The good things he planned for us long ago. But, but here's a question. If you don't do those good things, does that change who you are? No, you're, you're still God's masterpiece. I have little ones in my house. I don't suddenly stop loving them if they don't do what they're supposed to do. When they don't do their chores and they don't act responsibly, they don't all of a sudden become garbage. It's, and our heavenly father loves you more than any earthly parents love their kids. God's love for you is constant. And that's one of the things that lets you separate who you are from what you do. So how do you know if you have confused your work and your worth? Here's some questions. Do you overwork because you can't face yourself or face your family unless you have a prestigious job? Do you look down on people who pick trades to work in who make very little money compared to you? Do you become totally despondent when you're passed over from a promotion? You know, all of us can have some days where we let our, work, our worth come out of our work. But to, be, to work in a godly way is to separate those things. And when you separate those things, here's what you gain. You gain resilience. You gain the ability to bounce back because a bad day does not mean that you're a bad person and bad performance does not define who you are. When your worth is found in what God says about you, it allows you to have a confidence, it allows you to have a boldness, it allows you to have a resilience that other people do not have because your worth is found in God. So one next step you could take to commit to this, because right, I, I was thinking about this this week. How do you disconnect your work from your worth? How do you separate who you are from what you do? And I think it's challenging. There's something very deep there. And so I want to I challenge you to commit to come to the rest of the Work Matters series. Because I, I don't think this is something you can just get sorted out in five minutes. I think that this is worth processing through, especially if this is running your life at the moment. And each person was given a connection card when you came in. Would you go ahead and take this out for me?
look at the back of it. On the back, my next step today is to commit to attend the rest of the Work Matters teaching series. And there's some of you who are here today that need to take that step for yourself to commit to be here to unravel who you are from what you do. And you can drop this in the offering basket when it comes by later. All right, so that's number one, the first godly decision. Here's the second godly decision to make about my work. Two, develop a heart of integrity. Write it down. The word integrity comes from shipbuilding. Most people don't know that. But you check the integrity of a hull, the hull of a ship, to see if it holds water. And so it used to happen more in the past, although it still happens today, that occasionally they'll bring a boat out of the water into dry dock, and then someone will go inspect the hull up close. Because it looks like it holds water from far away, but they need to get right up close to it to see if there's any little cracks, to see if it has integrity. So you can think of integrity this way in your life, that the closer someone gets, the better it looks. If someone were to get up right close in your life, would they find any cracks? Would they find anything that wouldn't hold water? That's integrity. At work, the cracks look like, um, well, we, we heard of a big one recently where um, there was someone at, a comp- someone at our church, knew someone in, a com- in their company who was supposed to be working, and they called them, and it turned out the person was on a plane to California, but they said they were just working from home that day. <laughs> But it also looks like stealing office supplies. It looks like, my wife burned me with this one, it looks like ordering groceries from Amazon when you're supposed to be working. I was like, ooh, that one's, that's bad. Got me. It looks like planning your vacation when you're supposed to be working. That's the cracks in your life. It looks like slandering other people at the office. Now, we would never say that about ourselves. Oh, yeah, I'm just slandering people to get ahead at office politics. I'm really good at it. No, but it's that idea that you're just, you're just, you know, you're dropping little things behind their back to make sure other people know that you're better than they are and that they're not trustworthy and that they, they shouldn't be promoted, but you should. Those are cracks. But to work in a godly way is to develop integrity in your life. Mark 8, 36, Jesus says this, how do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? If you fall behind spiritually to get ahead financially, it will eventually catch up with you. Jesus says you can gain the whole world, but lose your own soul. He's essentially saying there are things that are more important than work and getting ahead at work. And your character is one of those things. The way you work matters. And besides that, the Bible teaches that integrity is good business. Proverbs 10.9 says this, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked found out. I knew a man uh, named Ben. And he's, he's much older than me. But when he was a young man, he, he was sort of aimless in his life. He didn't know what he was going to do. And so he was working as a bank teller, and it was a minimum wage job. And on his lunch break one day, he, he left the bank, went a couple doors down. There was a Ferrari dealership. So like any young man, he was just going in there to um, stare at the cars. And he's, he's in there looking at a car. The owner of the Ferrari dealership comes up, up a conversation with him, says, um, 
so they're talking, and it comes up that um, they're both Christians. And it also came up that Ben was pretty serious about his faith as a young man. And so on the spot, the owner of the dealership offered Ben a job. He said, would you like to come work? I would love to have you come work for me. And Ben said, why would you hire me? You don't even know me. I'm, I'm just making minimum wage right now. And the man said, what I need more than anything in my business is people with integrity. He said, there's a lot of money that moves around in this business, and my customers are often trying to bribe my salespeople to get what they want. And I want people with integrity. So Ben took the job, and he worked his way up to become a salesman, and he actually made so much money doing that that he worked there for his entire career until he retired. Integrity is good business because people learn that they can rely on you. Do you have that kind of integrity in your life? Do you have that kind of integrity in your work? Or are there areas where you're cutting corners? Maybe you need to make that decision to tell the truth no matter the personal cost. Are there any cracks in your life that would appear upon closer inspection? You know, this is where this idea of developing integrity is, is a place where community groups can be an incredible benefit to your life. Now, I think community groups are a benefit to everybody, but let me talk to men for just a second here. Because most men think that community groups are essentially you sit around in a circle and you talk about your feelings. Well, first of all, that's not true because I don't even have feelings, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but no, we study a topic, we study the Bible, but, but here's one of the, you know, that's our study, but here's one of the things I found comes out of that. It's so hard to surround yourself with people who have the character and the values you want to develop in your life. And when you put yourself in that situation, you know, your friends influence the quality and direction of your life. You knew that, didn't you? And so when you put yourself in a position where you surround yourself by, with other people who are dedicated to living with character and integrity, it helps grow that in your life. And so if that's something you would like to grow in personally, my, my greatest suggestion for you would be sign up for a community group today. Whatever that reason is that's holding you back, I would say take the risk, sign up. You do it on the connection card on the back. You just write the group number down and you're signed up. Now they start this week. So if you sign up today, then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it is, you'll be able to go to the first one. And God will use those people to shape your, shape your life in ways that you probably are not even quite expecting yet. So that was number two. Decide to live with integrity. All right. The third godly decision to make about my work. Decide who I'm going to work for. We're on the second inside page of the notes now. Who do you work for? Everybody has a boss. Some people have a good boss. Some people have a bad boss. Some people have a board. Some people are self-employed and you're your own boss. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But when you follow Jesus, listen to what it says in Colossians 3.23. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You work as if God is your boss. That's when you decide who I'm going to work for. Am I going to work for people or am I going to work for God? And when you're working for your boss, when you're working for people, you want to make sure that your work is noticed. So you're always doing things to make sure people see what you're doing. But when God is your boss, when you're working for God, you know he sees everything you do, so you don't have to always be constantly self-promoting. When you work for your boss, you're working to earn the acceptance and respect of people around you. When you work for God, you know you already have his acceptance through Jesus Christ. 
When you're working for your boss, you're always trying to justify your existence, or if you get paid a lot, some people get paid a lot, you're trying to justify the amount that they pay you. And so you're always just working to justify your presence and your existence there. When you work for God, you are already justified, you are already accepted, and you can work out of gratitude and joy. When you work for your boss, you, you end up working harder when people are watching, but when you work for God, you can give 100% all the time, you know God is always watching. In one of my high school jobs, I had a boss who worked a short drive away from where all of the teenagers worked. And so um, we didn't do a lot of work. Most of the time, everybody was slacking off. We would take turns napping, playing cards, or working on our suntan because this was South Florida. (laughs) And there was one person that had to work. We called them the lookout. And we would put them in the front office and they would just stay there with a radio. And if the boss was coming in the truck, they would radio back to everybody else and we would put on uh, gloves really quick because when you have gloves on, it looks like you're working. Maybe nurses know this, I don't know. And, And so we would all start acting like we were cleaning up the place. So one day I'm at that job and I was reading a book in a lawn chair in the sun, when all of a sudden, something blocked out the sun. It was my boss. I had fallen asleep. I was totally out. And um, I actually managed to keep my job on on that rare occasion. But I was incredibly embarrassed and also disappointed with myself because I hadn't learned that lesson yet of working like I was working for the Lord, and I'd been a Christian for about a year, and I real, it was like that sudden moment when you realize, oh, my actions reflect on my faith and on my God, and I'm giving these people that I work with a really poor picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. When you work for the Lord, you work whether people's eye is on you or not. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Who are you working for? Who are you trying to please? And if you're a people pleaser, what would it look like to start working in a way that pleases God instead of pleasing people? That would set you free, wouldn't it? You know, I think that if you did this and started working as if God were your boss, you'd be more excited when you went into work tomorrow. I mean, if you showed up into work tomorrow and they were like, hey, sorry, Stephanie, your your, your manager Steve is out, so instead you've got Jesus. You'd be like, okay, we're working today, right? I mean, it would change the way that you work if if you were working for God. It would totally change the way that you work. And the Bible says that that's how we are to work. All right. The third godly decision we said was decide who I'm going to work for. Here's the fourth godly decision to make about my work. Be diligent with the small things. Mm-hmm. It's easy to work when you're put on a high visibility project. It's no problem giving it your all when you just stepped into that new promotion. But what, what do you do when you're given work that you feel is beneath you? How do you work when you know you're capable of more? 
That says a lot about your character. That says a lot about your faith. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever presents itself for you to do, do it with all your might. Whatever. Circle that word whatever in your notes. Does that mean stapling papers? Whatever. Does that mean compiling reports? Whatever. Does that mean expense reports? Which is, if you were wondering, my absolute least favorite part of working. Whatever. If you're an intern, does that mean like the cliched coffee run for everybody else? Listen, even the the marketers have it right. Own the coffee run, right? Whatever. Whatever you set your, your mind to do, do it with all your might. Because you are not too important of a person to do simple things well. Okay, now it's one thing for somebody else to tell you that. It's infinitely harder for for you to tell yourself that. So we can practice. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are not too important of a person to do simple things well. Go ahead and tell them. (laughs) Now, can I tell you why? Here's, here's the good piece of that. That was kind of a downer. Hey, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're, you're not important. Um, there was a second half to that sentence. I hope you said it. Some of you were like, I can't remember that much. But here's the thing. There is a very important principle in the Bible about being trusted with little things and being given bigger things. Listen to the words of Jesus. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Jesus says that when you're diligent with the small things, you are being prepared for greater things. When I was... uh, very young in ministry, the man who used to be my youth pastor taught me an important lesson. He said, when you're looking for leaders in your church, look for the people who help clean up when things are over. He said, not everybody who folds chairs or puts Bibles away is a leader, but everybody who does is a servant. And that's where you get your leaders from. You look for people who are diligent with the little things they're done, that that they're given, and then give them greater responsibilities. That's what God does with all of us. You know, it's not bad to want a promotion. It's not bad to feel like you're capable of more. Maybe you are. The problem happens when your desire for bigger, bigger things causes you to neglect the small things. You know, it's February, which means that it's Black History Month. I knew that was coming, Judith. So... Um, everybody knows the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., rightfully from his great civil rights speeches, but a lot of people don't know, he gave an incredible address to a group of high schoolers one time where he was talking about the importance of work and the importance of being diligent with what you're given, and he uses this idea of being a street sweeper. Um, So I wanted you to hear from him himself. So take a look at this video and listen to what he says. What I'm saying to you this morning, my friend, even if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, go on out and sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. 
sweep streets like Handel and Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. If you can't be a pine on the top of a hill, be a scrub in the valley, but be the best little scrub on the side of the rill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. It isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And when you do this, when you do this, you've mastered the length of life. If you can't be a tree, be a shrub. Maybe you're a shrub. I would have you turn to your neighbor and say that, but it's getting a little depressing here today. So be amazing at follow through. Do simple things with great excellence. Develop a reputation as someone who will execute with excellence. Be diligent in the small things you are given to do. All right, so our five godly decisions so far. One, separate who I am from what I do. Two, develop a heart of integrity. Three, decide who I'm going to work for. Four, be diligent with the small things. And here's number five. Stay faithful even when I feel stuck. This is on the back page of your notes. Stay faithful even when I feel stuck. Before long, everyone feels stuck in a bad work situation. Or you feel stuck in a position below what you feel like you deserve but I want to encourage you to stay faithful in those situ situations because God will use it to shape your soul. We have an incredible example of this from the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he was doing work for God. He was doing work God told him to do. And yet he often felt stuck. Sometimes he would have these unbelievable detours to his life. He was shipwrecked a couple of times. He was often arrested. Many times he was hungry, tired, and wet without enough food to get by. He was so often opposed in the work that he was doing that he felt stuck. But listen to what he has to say about what this accomplished in his life. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. I think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to, to die. But as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. He said that they were crushed and completely overwhelmed. Do any of you feel like that in your work today? Do any of you feel like that in your life today? Listen, I believe God can use that to teach you the same lesson the Apostle Paul learned. To learn not to rely on yourself, but on God who raised the dead. There are seasons of life when you have to pay the bills. Like, I get it. There are some times when your work is not your passion, you're working so you can pursue your passion. You're working so you can go to school. You're working to just pay the bills so you can Try to get your passion going. Like, I get all of that, that there are seasons. But you may feel stuck. You may feel stuck. But I don't think you are stuck. My suspicion is that you are exactly where God wants you to be so that he can shape your soul. 
you are not missing out on God's plan for your life. There are not these great blessings waiting for you that God is just withholding from you because you're not working hard enough. When you feel stuck in your work, God is right there in the middle of that, shaping your soul. But you've got to stay faithful. Because if you try to run away from hard situations, you will miss out on the lessons that God wants to teach you. And you may feel stuck in this moment in this job right here and run off to another one. But listen, all of your job, they're all going to be hard. You're all going to feel stuck eventually. And some, you know, at, so, at some point, you'll have to learn perseverance to say, I'm going to stick it out through the hard part of this to get to the good part of this. And in the middle of that, God is shaping your soul. You are not stuck according to God. So what might God be teaching you? in this season of your life? What might God want you to learn? Feeling stuck. If you check out, if you run away, if you get bitter, you'll miss out on your life-shaping lesson from God. The Bible says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And whether you feel stuck or you feel like you're in a great place with your work, It's the same for both. You have to commit your work to the Lord. You have to give it to him. And that gives you the strength and the resolve, the resilience, the power to work in the right way so that you're not running from work and you're not letting work run your life. You have to commit your work to the Lord. But you can't commit your work to the Lord if you haven't committed your life to the Lord. It just doesn't make sense. You have to commit all of your life to the Lord and have God at the very center of your life. And the reason you can do this is because Jesus, Jesus stayed faithful to the end. I mean, you might feel stuck, but what Jesus called to, the, you know, the, Jesus was constantly saying that the work he was called to do was to go all the way to the cross, to die on the cross so that your sin could be forgiven and then be raised from the dead so that you could have eternal life with God. That was the work Jesus was given to do. And he stayed faithful to the very end in that. And when you believe that, when you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, it reorients your life and puts God right at the very center of your life. So instead of you being the center of your life, Jesus is the center of your life. Instead of work being the center of your life, Jesus is the center of your life. Instead of comfort, you know, some, some of you are running from work because you're, you're worshiping comfort, Jesus is at the center of your life. And when God is at the center of your life, work can be in its right and proper place. So commit your work to the Lord. Commit your work to the Lord. And then you won't have to run from work and work won't run your life. <laughs> 